I'm really thankful that Pastor Aaron gave me the privilege of preaching the word this morning. We're going to be a little bit outside of the series we've been in. We've been in a series in First and Second Samuel on the life of David. Uh, today we're going to take a little bit of a break uh, from that. And uh, I want to talk to you guys about something really important this morning, especially uh, for the world that we live in today. Uh, if you have your Bible with you or uh, if you've got your phone, you're going to want to go to James chapter 3, and we're going to be starting at verse 13, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 4, verse 12. And one of the reasons why I want to do that is because James uh, is connecting a very important idea for us as Christians, especially Christians who are under a little bit of pressure, under, in the midst of persecution, Christians who are in the heat, so to speak. So that's James Chapter 3, starting in verse 12, 13. Here's what the word of our God says through James. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, Gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? 
on May 25th of 2020, the American populace was thrown into an uproar over the death of a man by the name of George Floyd, who was killed during detention by the police. There were many who most definitely were angry. And yet, while this injustice took place, the response that followed was the promise of conversation and reconciliation. However, what actually took place were bitter ramblings behind comment sections. And as opposed to opening our doors and preparing our dinner tables, we opened our social media platforms and prepared lackluster pontifications in the name of social justice, a concept rooted in a biblical text we're often too lazy to read. See Leviticus 19. Personally, I was astounded when I read our passage and studied it in preparation for this morning because I found out what anger Bitterness, jealousy, rage, what they ultimately represent. It represents worldliness. It's a worldliness so wicked that James, the author of this letter and the half-brother of Jesus, goes as far as to call it demonic. Let me give you some background on James. He had spent two previous chapters in this letter that we have, um, and half of chapter three, addressing the weak faith of these dispersed tribes. There were 12 tribes that were dispersed because of persecution. And the issue is, is that their faith had nothing to show for it. Rather, the weak faith that they had showed sins of favoritism, uh, the need for taming the tongue, uh, because it can build or destroy And this portion of James' letter continues that theme of making sure that the Christian faith is not just knowledge, but also character, especially in regards to jealousy and bitterness. I had titled this this message, uh, Wisdom and Worldliness. And one of the reasons why I had done that is because that is James' focus in the entirety of this letter. This passage begins with a question among these 12 tribes. And the question is, who is wise and has understanding? And that same question is posed to us this morning as we evaluate our hearts according to the things this text will teach us. It continues to say in summary that the ones who are wise and understanding are marked by a good conduct with meekness and that those who are marked by bitterness and jealousy, uh, are ultimately worldly and marked by what is characterized as demonic. After asking what causes quarrels and fights among the dispersed tribes, James concludes that accusation doesn't belong to any specific people in the group, but the collective sinful desires of everyone. He warns them not to speak evil of each other, but to humble themselves before the Lord. Now, here's what's crazy. James is only talking to Christians right now. He's not talking about maybe what the Roman Empire is saying about the church at this point. He's not talking about all of those Jewish people that are still not believing that Jesus really was God, he really was the Messiah, and they stoned Stephen, which caused this dispersion. They're not talking about that. 
James isn't getting at any outside group. He's getting at Christians this morning. He's getting at us this morning. What causes quarrels and fights among us? Where is bitterness and jealousy? Where's every vile practice in us? As the church today, living in the context of 21st century Western America, our call is not to use words that hurt, but to proclaim the living word that rescues. And our wisdom is not of this world. It is from one outside. So here's our first point this morning. Christian wisdom is shown by godly character. Christian wisdom is shown by godly character. When we read this text, we don't find ourselves on the end of any kind of way in which our actions can justify us simply because we're persecuted or simply because we're the minority or, or simply because we, we feel safe behind a keyboard as opposed to a dinner table. When we read this text, what it says about God not only involves his actions, but it proves his character as a God of goodness and grace. Here are a few things it says about God. It says that God yearns jealously over the spirit that he has been made, that he has made to dwell in us. It says he gives more grace, but he he opposes the proud and then gives grace to the humble. It says that God draws near to those who draw near to him. Here's what's interesting about this. We can see church this morning, all of us, all right, I'm including myself in this, and trust me, I I will be the first to confess to you that I'm an angry man, okay? I'm 100% that. I have no problem telling you that this morning. I think the problem that we might all collectively have is that we might have an issue saying that in the moment when it hits, and the blow-up reveals what was already in our hearts as opposed to maybe God doing that slowly and more tenderly than we would. If you look at God here, his character and actions are consistent. They line up. He is drawing near, even to his enemies. The cross was payment for those who were not looking for him, okay? That was in the ancient Near East, and you're in Louisiana right now. So when we say that Things like Old Testament God leading to New Testament God are two different people. I don't understand how all of these things line up and lead to Jesus. You can see God's tender mercies and patience with an entire nation just to get us to one man who, instead of incarnating himself as some kind of royal, uh, uh, highly elite ivory tower figure, he puts on human skin and becomes second rate, has the job of his dad and sheds his blood for a people who, when they looked at him, they said he had no form or majesty. God has every right to be angry. And he poured out all of his on the sun. I wonder why we think we can pour out all of ours on Facebook and Twitter. It's very interesting, too. I wonder if you evaluated your own heart this morning, and I'm I'm thinking through these things with you, I promise. Would you really ever say that to someone in public? 
Here's another one that might hit. Do you share the gospel enough as much as you criticize? Here is the Lord yearning jealously over the spirit he's made to dwell in us for the sake of proclaiming him. So brothers and sisters, this morning, God is calling us to prove ourselves wise through our words and actions. God is consistent. Yes, we do fail at being consistent. Thankfully, as we have heard this morning, God draws near, and he does indeed give more grace. But while he does that, he also shows us what we are not to image ourselves as, right? There are some small lists of characteristics about godliness, but James spends a lot of time getting at the characteristics of the opposite, of the converse being worldliness, okay? So worldliness here is filled with bitterness and jealousy. Worldliness is coveting. Worldliness has world's, world-centered eyes. And so the things that you might be looking for secretly in your heart Maybe a kind of fame because you stood up for your faith on Facebook, but you won't stand up for it in the coffee shop when it's challenged publicly. And one of the reasons I reference social media is because we are rapidly becoming more of a people who know how to hide, right? Like that's the great danger of this exposure to mass communication and information with the option of participation. There are conversations we should participate in. And in some ways, they kind of seem unfair because they're difficult conversations to be in. I know it's hard. It's hard to talk about race without feeling attacked. It's hard to talk about money without thinking somebody's digging in your business. It's hard to talk about your job. It's hard to talk about church community and expectations and where you think things should be and where they're not and where you think they should go. While it's hard, it's also easy to talk about and and not as easy to participate in. And it's easier to have what looks like a conversation as opposed to participation in the solution. So I want to point you to our second point, which is that worldly wisdom is shown by fruitless words. Y'all, you know, it's funny. The wisdom of the world keeps on having to repeat itself and get louder to seem as if it's having some effect as opposed to actually having any effect. This world is no better off than it was in 2020. And the greatest pandemic, the sin of humanity still is alive and well. There have been many distractions along the way. Some of them have actually used God in order to be distracted, right? Arguments about theology over Twitter. Conversations about race that have happened over social media as opposed to maybe getting to know your neighbor at a dinner table. James helps us immensely in the work he's done here by comparing and contrasting the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of Christ through character traits mentioned 
in this part of the text. So just to remember these. Those who are wise and understanding display humility and obedience, but jealousy and bitterness are what worldly people display. A harvest of righteousness is done in peace by those who make peace. But sinful passions will cause arguments and divisions among brothers and sisters in Christ and ultimately will show a great cloud of witnesses like the world we live in that we don't actually believe the Jesus we say we do. Those who submit to God are humble and they take his presence seriously. They're lifted up before him. But no one can judge their neighbor as God does. There is only one lawgiver and one judge. This text is a call and a challenge to prove ourselves wise. And if we're going to do this, we must prove ourselves wise and humble through submission to God's word. Brothers and sisters, I do not say this uh, as a bragging point, um, but just to tell you where I've come from, uh, I, at one point in my life, could not read beyond a sophomore reading level. Um, Just a bit of some testimony here to the Lord's faithfulness in making things like this happen, but also just to tell you that I am an angry man who has been um, just overshadowed by grace. Uh, When I was in kindergarten, my kindergarten teacher did not want to teach me how to read because I was black. And so the teacher across the hall taught me how to read. But I had been behind in reading for a long time because I did not get proper treatment early on in my kindergarten year. And so, y'all, to be honest, apart from the grace of God, I should not be able to get up here and preach this book. And I want you to know uh, there have been many instances like that in my life where the angry man that Matthew Hall is would certainly not produce the righteousness of God if he were to get his way. But the reason why a story like that one is overshadowed by God's grace is because of a covenant community like this one that is a reminder of the fact that there is a faithful remnant left who in the midst of being a dispersed tribe hold fast to the word of God as their anchor. One of that kindergarten teacher does not at all amount to the grace that God has shown me in the 30 and 40 of you. But maybe you struggle to see grace that way. And maybe you struggle to see grace because anger has been uh, the cloud for so long. Maybe this morning you're actually just as angry as I am right now whether it be some form of injustice, whether it be a spouse, whether it be a conversation you've held on to, whether it be a parent, whether it be an action, whether you're angry at yourself because you feel like the same old sin will always have the same old shackle. I want you to know that though there might be that same old sin, that though there might be that same old argument, Jesus is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and he is constantly giving water that is new and refreshing. There is constantly mercy. And my prayer for us today and going forward as a church is that we would be a people settled in the gospel of grace as opposed to being settled in our angry ways. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we are so thankful that we as your people find our wisdom and we shape our character in you and you alone in your word. 
Father, we pray, forgive us of our anger, relieve us of these passions and the envy and the jealousy, God, that the world might snare us with. Lord, I pray that the plans of the devil would be absolutely thwarted in an attempt to cause division. Lord, we pray, you, the God who breaks the bow and bend the spear, cause war to cease. The war that wages in us, the wars that wage socially, economically in our community um, and ethnically in our community, God, the wars that wage all across the world, Uh, For, Father, the greatest war that is being waged, you have already won, and it is the fact that the gospel is being proclaimed to the nations. Father, with all of that in mind, help us to walk out with a lens of hope and grace and mercy as opposed to hopelessness, anger, and bitterness. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, trusting that you make all things right. Amen. Amen.